0: First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. If you have your Bibles today, church, and I hope you do, you turn with me to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. As uh, many of you know, uh, my father-in-law, Mark Matheny, went home uh, to be with the Lord a week ago Wednesday. And I'm going to share a little bit uh, about Mark at at the end today, but uh, just just right up front, just want to say thank you to all of you, just for your love and and prayers for our family, Uh, just the cards that you've sent, the meals, all the things that you've done during this time. Uh, Thank you to all of you who um, were able to come out yesterday afternoon for uh, the Celebration of Life service that we had uh, out under the trees and again, just your love and your prayers have, have really lifted us up, have been our strength during this time, and so thankful uh, for you all. Uh, we, we talked earlier in the service about Mother's Day, and uh, I am so thankful for all of the moms in my life, for my mom, uh, for my mother-in-law, and uh, and also for my wife Megan, the mom in our household. Uh, since we're continuing in our study of of Acts, the message today is not a, a Mother's Day message per se, but uh, the title of the message does make me think a little bit about moms because the title of the message is "Missing Ingredients," which has to do with cooking. I don't want to. I don't want to stereotype. I'm, I'm sure in, in in some of your families, maybe it's the dad that that kind of does more of the cooking. Uh, in our house, I can just say my kids are thankful that is not the case because they would uh, be eating hot dogs and craft macaroni and cheese every night if that was the case. We are all very thankful that uh, my wife Megan does the cooking and she is a wonderful cook. Uh, but she would be the first to tell you she was not always uh, a wonderful cook. Now, I, I had to ask permission to share this story because I, I don't want to get in trouble, especially on Mother's Day. That's not a day you want to get in trouble. And so she gave me permission to share this. But, you know, when we, when we first got married, we had only been married, uh, I think, like a month or two. We were living up in North Carolina in seminary housing. And, uh, and Megan was just, just kind of learning to cook. And she decided she was going to, uh, she found this recipe online somewhere uh, for a low-fat fettuccine Alfredo. And, and that tastes just about as good as it, as it sounds. And so um, I was, you know, dutifully, you know, brand new husband. I, was, I don't want to make her feel bad. So, I mean, I was eating every bite of that, and it, it was tough to get down, all right? And, and, it, and it was so bad, in fact, that Megan herself could not even eat it. She said, I can't even eat this. It's so bad. And, you know, I don't know if it, it, it's, the, you know, that particular recipe, but just kind of in general, I'm thinking probably low-fat fettuccine Alfredo is just, just not a great idea. Right? There are some things that just shouldn't be low fat. Right? There were some, some things, uh, there were some missing ingredients in that recipe that should not have been missing. And you know, we're going to read in the Bible today about some missing ingredients, about some missing ingredients that some folks had in their faith and in their understanding of God. We're picking up the story in verse 23 of Acts 18. Paul has just finished his second missionary journey. He's about to leave his home church in the city of Antioch to go out on what we now call his third missionary journey. Let's see how that trip got started and what happened next. Acts 18, starting in verse 23. We read, After he, Paul, had spent some time there, that's in the city of Antioch, he departed and went over to the region of Galatia and Phrygia, In order strengthening all the disciples. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. When he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren rode, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ." Saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. Father, we thank you today for this portion of your word. We ask today that you would. Be our teacher, Lord, that we might hear from you in these moments, that you might change us and transform us by your grace to be more like your son, Jesus. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, we're talking today about some missing ingredients. And as we walk through this story that uh, we just read. I want us to see together three truths about missing ingredients in our faith. And here's the first truth that we need to see. We will all encounter people in our lives who are missing something. We'll all encounter people who are missing something. In these verses that we read, there's actually two examples of that, two examples of people that were uh, had some missing ingredients. And again, we'll encounter folks like that as well, very similar To these two examples. First off, what we see here is that some people are missing the story. They're missing the story. They don't have the whole story. Uh, They know uh, a part of it, but they don't uh, have it all. And the man that we meet here who fits that description is this man, Apollos. But before we meet him in verse twenty-four, uh, we read this note about Paul in verse twenty-three. Look at that with me again. Acts eighteen twenty-three. It says, "After he Paul had spent some time there, he departed and went over to the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order strengthening all the disciples." So again, Paul is setting out on his third missionary journey, and just like he did at the beginning of his second missionary journey, he decides to revisit some of the churches that he had planted before. Uh, He went to cities like Lystra and Derbe and Antioch and Pisidia and others, and the text said he strengthened the disciples there. And I just love this about Paul, because when you think about Paul, you think about an evangelist. You think about someone who is always uh, trying to share the gospel with the lost, and certainly Paul did do that, but he didn't just do that. He also cared about how these new believers were growing in their faith. He cared about their discipleship. He cared about uh, leaving healthy churches behind. And so that's what he's doing here. He's going from city to city, retracing his steps, strengthening these believers, building up these churches. And after Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, tells us that, he kind of leaves Paul for a moment, and he jumps over to something that's happening somewhere else in the city Of Ephesus. And in verse 24, we read about this man named Apollos who came to Ephesus. And Apollos, as you read the description here, was an impressive man. He came from Alexandria in Egypt which at that time was really on a par with Athens as being one of the intellectual centers of the world. It was well known for its amazing museum and gigantic library that it had there. The text says that Apollos was a learned person. He was mighty in the scriptures. means he knew his Bible well. At least he knew the Old Testament scriptures that had been written by this time. And it also says that he was eloquent. He was a masterful communicator. So he knew the Word of God, and he also knew how to talk about the Word of God. And while there's some debate about this, not all Bible teachers agree with this, I believe that Apollos was already a Christian by the time that he came to Ephesus. And there's several reasons why I think that. First, it says in verse 25 that he uh, taught accurately the things Of the Lord. It says that he was fervent in spirit. And the way that the Greek is written there, I believe it's referring not just to his own human spirit, but to the Holy Spirit that already indwelt him. I believe another evidence that he was already saved is in a minute when some more mature believers kind of instruct him a little bit and bring him up to speed on some things. It doesn't say uh, that they required him to be baptized. Uh, I believe that's because uh, they knew he already was saved and he was already filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 26 says, Apollos was teaching boldly in the synagogues and uh, teaching about the Lord Jesus. And there was a couple there. We met them last week. Aquila and Priscilla are their names. And isn't that just an awesome set of names for a married couple? Just think about that. And if your name is Aquila, and you meet a young woman named Priscilla. I mean, it's just done right there, right? I mean, you just, you just know this is from the Lord. This is supposed to be my wife, right? And so Aquila and Priscilla, uh, they, these were tent makers who uh, worked alongside Paul. Again, we read about that last week. Uh, now they had come to the city of Ephesus, strong believers in the Lord. And they're sitting there in the synagogue. And they're listening to this man, Apollos. Preach boldly and powerfully from the scriptures. They probably thought to themselves, We've never heard anybody preach like this since the Apostle Paul himself. But they also noticed as they listened to him that even though everything he was saying was correct, they could tell that there were some things that he was missing, that there were some gaps in his knowledge, there were some things that he just didn't know about. Yet. And notice how they handled that, right? They didn't publicly blast him. Uh, they didn't rip him a new one, right? They didn't go on Facebook and write a post about him, right? They they pulled him aside privately, probably to their home, and they talked with him patiently, lovingly. The text says in verse 26, they explained the way of God to him more accurately. Now, we don't know all of the things that he was missing. Uh, We know one of the areas uh, where he didn't know everything about it was the area of baptism. It says he only knew about the baptism of John the Baptist. We'll talk more about that in a minute, but John's baptism was a baptism of preparation uh, to get folks' hearts ready to meet the Lord Jesus. So he apparently didn't know that Jesus had commanded in Matthew 28 that all of his disciples be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, He apparently didn't know what happened in Acts chapter 2 on the birthday of the church when those first 3,000 Christians were all baptized that day in the city of Jerusalem. Apollos apparently didn't uh, know that. Perhaps there were some other things he didn't know as well. But here is this godly, mature couple in Christ that takes him to the side and again catches him up and brings him up to speed. And there's so much that we can learn from this, but... Uh, One thing for sure that we need to notice here is the humility that Apollos had. Uh, Even though he had almost certainly had more formal training in the scriptures than Aquila and Priscilla did, even though he was clearly a more effective, gifted communicator than uh, Aquila and Priscilla were, he received the things that they had to say to him. He had a teachable spirit. He listened and he learned and he took in what they had to say. And that kind of teachable, humble spirit is so important if we're going to grow. In our knowledge of the Lord. And we won't spend long on this, but in verses 27 and 28, it says that Apollos wanted to go over to Achaia. Specifically, he wanted to go to the city of Corinth. And these believers in Ephesus, more or less, wrote him like a letter of recommendation to take with him so that he would be well received by the believers in Corinth. And when he got there, the text says he was a great, great blessing that he helped to build up the believers in the church. He was also a blessing because of the way he shared Jesus with unbelievers. Uh, It says in verse 28 there that he was able to argue uh, convincingly from the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. He was able to answer and refute any argument that someone might raise in opposition to that. And so God used him in incredible ways. You know, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, uh, Paul talks about Apollos talks about the wonderful ministry that Apollos had there in the city of Corinth. And you might remember Paul said, I planted the seed and Apollos watered it, but it is the Lord God who has given the increase. But again, Apollos was able to have this kind of effective ministry because when he was missing some ingredients, there was an Aquila and Priscilla there to take him to the side, to disciple him and to show him the way in your life you'll meet some folks who are missing part of the story you'll also meet some folks who are missing the spirit of god the first verses of acts 19 tell that story by this time apollos has already left Ephesus and gone to Corinth, and now Paul comes to town. He comes to Ephesus, and we'll talk more next week about Paul's ministry in Ephesus, because it's actually the city that he spent the longest duration of time ministering there. He was there altogether almost three years, but the beginning of Acts 19 talks about when he first got to town, and he met this group of folks. Uh, Verse 7 says that there were 12 of them altogether, and so you might call this group the Ephesus 12 and the Ephesus 12 were also missing something and I believe it's clear that they were actually missing a whole lot more than Apollos was missing because again a minute ago I mentioned I believe Apollos was a Christian already who just needed some discipleship he needed some more instruction but these 12 it becomes clear were actually not yet believers in the Lord Jesus I think Paul may have suspected that Because in verse 2 of chapter 19, he asked them a question. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And and listen to the way they respond at the end of verse 2. They said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Now, Paul, who would later write Romans chapter 8, verse 9, knew that every true believer in Jesus Christ has the Spirit of Christ living inside of them. And so when they say to him, we don't even know that there is a Holy Spirit, Paul knows right away these folks are not yet saved. That leads him to ask about their baptism. Because he knows that if they were truly saved, if they put their faith in Christ and publicly confess that through baptism, the Spirit of God would be indwelling them by this point. And they reply to him and they say, no, Paul, we, we've only received the baptism of John the Baptist. Now It's possible that these 12 folks living in Ephesus had been baptized by John the Baptist himself in Israel 25 years before this. It's also possible that they had been baptized by one of John the Baptist's successors who maybe carried on his ministry in some other place. We don't know, but somehow they kind of missed the whole point of John the Baptist's ministry because John the Baptist clearly said, I am not the Messiah. I'm here to get you ready for when he comes. And John said, when he comes, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And either these guys had never heard that or they had never put it all together. But at this point, these 12 were really more like Old Testament believers in God who were still waiting for the Messiah to come. I'm sure Paul said a lot more to them than what we have here in verse 4, but this is a summary of what he said to them. Paul said, John, indeed, baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. Paul basically says to them, yes, John's baptism was to get you ready for Jesus' coming, and he came. He's already come. Uh, He's already lived. He's already died. He's already uh, risen again from the dead. In other words, you guys kind of missed a lot. Uh, Pastor Ken Hughes tells a story of, of some colonists in the latter part of the 18th century who left Virginia and headed out west And because of fear of the Native Americans and other things, they kind of just lived up in the mountains. And some of them didn't see anybody, didn't see a soul outside of their family for a period of about 20 years. Until one day, a group of travelers came into that mountain pass and encountered these mountaineers and asked them, what do you guys think about the New Republic? What do you think about the Continental Congress? And they said back, Uh, We never heard that there was a New Republic or a Continental Congress. In fact, they hadn't even heard the name George Washington. They hadn't even heard that there was a Revolutionary War. It all took place, and they missed it. And these 12 guys were kind of like that. They were like spiritual Rip Van Winkles that somehow slept through the coming of Jesus. But when Paul told them about Jesus, when he told them about how he died, How he had risen again. How they could be forgiven and made new. These 12 put their faith in Jesus. And they went from being followers of John the Baptist to being followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. The text says Paul laid his hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now that's not the normal way that believers now or really even then receive the Holy Spirit. In most cases in Acts, And in all cases today, you receive the Holy Spirit the moment that you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But this story is somewhat parallel to the story you read back in Acts chapter 8 about what happened in Samaria. There was a new group of folks who were coming into the church. Just as there's a new group here, these disciples, this remnant of the followers of John the Baptist that are coming into the church, and God wants to clearly identify that these folks are a part of the church. And so as the Apostle Paul lays his hand on them, there's a clear sign of them receiving the Holy Spirit. And that sign is them, just like happened in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. They begin to speak in tongues and languages that they had never known or studied before. And again, it's an evidence of the Spirit in their life. It's almost like a little mini Pentecost that's happening for these 12 disciples. Almost like Pentecost caught up with them 20 years down the road. But now they were saved. These 12 were filled with God's Spirit. And the Ephesus 12 became some of the first believers in this new church in the city of Ephesus. And just like these two examples show, you and I will meet folks in our life who are spiritually missing something or missing some ingredients. But here's the second truth that we need to take to heart about missing ingredients. We are all missing something too. It's not just Apollos that was missing something. It's not just these uh, Ephesus 12 that we're missing something. No, we, we all are missing something. And we know that because if we weren't missing anything, then by definition, we would be perfect, wouldn't we? And none of us are perfect. And none of us will be perfect until we're with the Lord. In this life, we still have to battle against our flesh. There are still gaps in our knowledge. There are still areas in our life where the Lord is working on each and every one of us and where he's working, where those missing ingredients are will probably look a little bit different for each and every one of us but we're all missing some things. Now there are some who are missing salvation itself and in a room of this size it's almost a certainty that there are some in this room who don't yet know the Lord in a saving way. Maybe like the Ephesus 12, you know some things about God. You've heard some stories in the Bible, but you haven't yet met Jesus in a personal way. You haven't yet fully surrendered your life to the Lord and made him the Lord of your life. The Bible tells us that we need to examine ourselves to see whether or not we are in the faith. And friend, I want to encourage you to do that this morning, to examine yourself, see whether you are in the faith or not. If you have no real interest in spiritual things, if you have no real interest in reading the Word of God, if you have no real interest in sharing about the Lord with others, if you have no real interest about even being in worship, and maybe you're just here today out of obligation or out of habit or out, out of duty, if your heart is really ice cold to the things of God, then, friend, you do have reason to question whether you know the Lord or not. Make sure, friend, that the missing ingredient in your life is not the Lord himself. Make sure that you have his salvation that he wants to give every one of us for others here today you aren't missing salvation you know that god has saved you you know that you belong to him but maybe there's something else missing maybe for you you're primarily missing knowledge knowledge maybe you'd even admit that you would just say you know what i know god saved me but my knowledge of the word of god is very very low I haven't read the word a lot. I don't don't know the whole storyline of the Bible. I don't know how all the books of the Bible tie together. I wouldn't be able to share that or explain that to anybody else. We're going to talk about it more in a minute, but maybe part of the reason for that is that you've never had a Paul and you've never had an Aquila or Priscilla that has pulled you aside and discipled you and helped you to grow. Some are missing knowledge. Others are missing faith. Missing faith. And when I say that, I'm not speaking about saving faith. There are some who have saving faith, but perhaps you would say my faith is is relatively weak. Think about all of the times that the Lord said to the twelve disciples, O ye of little faith. And maybe you sense that and feel that in yourself, that whenever a trial comes, whenever a difficulty comes, instead of standing strong, you falter. You tend to wobble. Your faith is not as strong as it should be. And certainly we can all grow stronger in our faith, but perhaps for some of you, you feel like that's where the missing ingredient is. That's where I need to grow. For others, maybe that missing ingredient is love. You know, Jesus would write a letter In Revelations 2 is where we find it, to this church at Ephesus that we're reading about it getting started here in Acts. And this was years later. And Jesus wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus and he said to them, I know all about your good works, know about all the things that you're doing for me, but nevertheless I have this against you, you have left your first love. Brother or sister, is that true for you? Is there a time in your life where you love the Lord Jesus more than you do now? Somewhere along the line, your love has grown cold towards him. Maybe that's what's missing. For others, maybe what's missing is just plain obedience. Obedience just obedience. You you love the Lord. You say that you love the Lord, but there's areas in your life where he's speaking to you, and you know that he's speaking to you, but you don't want to listen to him. Remember what Jesus said. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. We cannot say that we love the Lord when we're not willing to follow him, when we're not willing to do what he says. Maybe that's the area for you. One more missing ingredient that might resonate with some today. And that's proven character. Proven character. Maybe you would say, I love the Lord, I'm seeking to follow the Lord, but your, your character just hasn't been tested yet. It hasn't been forged with fire yet. The fire of adversity, and that's going to come. Anyone who has walked with the Lord long enough, you know the Lord has a way of using the hard times that we go through in our life to test us, to refine us, to build a godly character within us. and Paul wrote about that in Romans chapter 5. He said, and not only this, but we also celebrate in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings out perseverance and perseverance, proven character and proven character, hope and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit which was given to us. Friend, there is no shortcut to acquiring a proven character and a battle-tested hope. It only comes as we walk with the Lord and we find that He is faithful. That He's faithful when we're on the mountaintop, and He is faithful when we're in the lowest, darkest, deepest valley of our life. I don't know what's missing for you, but I know we all have some missing ingredients, some areas where God is at work in our hearts and our lives. And that leads me to the final truth that I want to share with you about missing ingredients. And I hope this will be an encouraging truth for all of us. God will complete what is missing in our faith. God will complete what is missing in our faith. Now certainly there is a role that we play In growing in our faith. There are spiritual disciplines that we need to have in our life to help us to grow. There's a role that other people play in helping us to grow. We'll talk more about that in a second. But ultimately, ultimately, it is God who grows us. It is God himself who promises to complete what is missing in our lives and missing in our faith as we walk with Jesus through life. Now, that doesn't come all at once, Right? There, there isn't some kind of, I don't know, holiness download that happens. Right? There isn't like a you know, godliness update 2.0 that happens in the middle of the night as long as your phone is hooked up and charging. Right? That's not how it happens. Right? It, it, it happens slowly. It happens over time. In fact, the Bible says this, that he does it in our life little by little over time. And the biblical word for that is sanctification. Right? Sanctification means that he sanctifies us, he makes us more and more holy, he makes us more and more set apart for the Lord, he makes us more and more like Jesus, and it's a gradual process that happens over time. Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians 3 with these words, he says, but we all with unveiled face beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. What image? The image of Christ. From glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. What a wonderful truth that is. So after we are saved, after we put our faith in Christ, he transforms us from glory to glory to glory. He transforms us little by little into the image of Christ, to be more like Christ. Now, you and I know it, it isn't usually a straight uphill climb, right? No, nobody's Christian testimony is, I got saved and then just pff, never even had one down day. It was just, pff, right? Nobody's like that, right? We, we know there are ups and downs along the way, right? Sometimes it feels like you're taking two steps forward and one step back, like you're growing really good for a while, and then you fall down and make a mess of things, and aren't you thankful that God picks us back up again? And sets us on the way again, and he keeps working by his spirit in our hearts and and in our lives. Gradually growing us to be more like Jesus, just like he did with Apollos. Sanctifying him, filling in the missing ingredients in his life. Now, God uses many things to sanctify us. God will sanctify us, first of all, by his word. By his word. Jesus said that in John 17. He prayed to the Father, and this is what he asked the Father. He said, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Church, the more time we spend in God's word, letting the word of God wash over our minds and wash over our thinking, the more we're going to live and think like Jesus Christ. If you think about it, that's really what Apollos needed. Right? He was mighty in the scriptures. He was mighty in the Old Testament scriptures, but he didn't know some of the things that are now written for us in the New Testament scriptures, right? He needed some people to teach him about those things, to teach him more of the word. Well, we need the same. I pray, church, that we would be a church that is hungry for the word of God. That we could be described the same way that Apollos was described, as mighty in the Scriptures. That's my prayer, that every one of us could be described that way, mighty in the Scriptures. Friend, let me ask you, I don't know if you've been a Christian for a year or five years or ten or twenty, but have you ever read through the entire Word of God? Maybe someone you would say, you know, I've been a Christian for so long, but I've never actually read through the whole Bible. You can start today. You can find reading plans online that'll help you. But basically, if you just read about three chapters in the Bible a day, about 15 minutes, that's half of a TV show, right? 15 minutes a day. You can read through the whole Bible by next Mother's Day. And let's do that, church, as we study the word, as we, again, allow the word to wash over us because that's one of the ways he sanctifies us is by his word. He also sanctifies us by his people by his people. That's why the church is so important. You know, the Christian life is not an individual sport, right? It's not like golf. It's a whole lot more like football. It's, it's a team sport. We need each other to grow. You know, Apollos, he didn't know what he didn't know. And if you think about it, that's true for every one of us, right? None of us know what we don't know, because if we knew it, we, we know it, right? And so we need some Aquilas and Priscilla's, right? We need some other people in our life who know what we don't know and are able to take us alongside and invest in us. And so, friend, let me ask you right now, who is that Aquila and Priscilla in your life? Who is it that you've invited to come into your life to teach you, to speak into your life, to help you to grow? Maybe you say, I don't think I have anybody like that. But pray about that. Maybe there's somebody in your small group that you can ask, and I just want to spend some more time with you. I've seen your walk with Christ. I just want to know more. I want to grow. Would you just spend some time with me? Just help me to grow. And then let me ask you the flip side of that question. Who are you being an Aquila and a Priscilla for? What other believer in your life right now are you taking time to pull to the side and spend time with and invest in and pour your life into? Again, you might say, I don't think there's anybody like that right now. Make that a matter of prayer. Ask God to show you a person in your circle of influence. And it's not going to probably be the same person for the next 50 years. It's going to be kind of for this next season of time. Who is that person right now that you want me to, to invest in? God grows us by his people. But then lastly, he sanctifies us by his spirit, by his spirit. Again, ultimately, it's the spirit of God who changes us and makes us more like Christ. Now, he's going to use different things. He's going to use his word, which the spirit of God inspired. He's going to use people, people of God who are filled with the spirit. Those, Those are tools in his hands, but ultimately, it is the spirit who transforms us. That's what we read in 2 Corinthians 3 a moment ago. By the Spirit, we're transformed from glory to glory into the image of Christ. And we will never be perfect in this life. But one day, the Bible says that every believer will be when we are with the Lord Jesus. That one day when we are with him, it will be Like a puzzle that's missing some pieces and he'll put every missing ingredient, every missing piece in its place. He'll take out everything that doesn't belong. And the picture that will be left in our life will be the picture of Jesus. That is what he wants to do in us. That is what he promises to do in us if we know Christ. Paul wrote that beautiful truth, a verse that's so familiar to many of us in Philippians chapter 1 where he said being confident of this very thing. That he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Yesterday afternoon at the service for my father-in-law, Mark Matheny, I shared a little bit about his spiritual story. And I won't share all of that again, but it is an amazing story about how the Lord saved uh, every member of my wife's family, and last of all, saved uh, Mark himself. And that happened 21 years ago at an event that our church held uh, over at Palm Bay High School, as this church was being built at the time. It was called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. And it was just about how there is an eternal destination. E- each of us is going to live in one of two eternal destinies, and it helps us to think about that. And that night, Mark was in the audience, and God reached down and saved him. And not only did he save Mark, but he ended up saving his marriage and his family after Mark and Angie had been separated for five years. And God had saved every member of the family in the meantime. Then Mark and Angie were remarried right right back there in the prayer room at our church. And as we're talking today about how God completes what is missing in our lives, And how he sanctifies us little by little over time. Mark Matheny was such a clear picture of that. Over these past 20 years how God did a work in him. I, I shared yesterday, I've had people texting me this past week who, who knew him for some of those years when he was a coach at O'Galley High School and played football for him and, and yet have been a part of our church and so have known him more recently. And they, they've said, God did a, did a work in his heart. He, he's not the same man I knew before. He's not the same coach I knew before. God has, God has changed him. And that's what God does in every single one of us. As we walk with Jesus little by little, he makes us more and more and more like the Lord. And what's amazing to me is that God was still doing that in Mark's life right up to the very end. And some of you may not know, over the past few weeks, Mark was in the hospital two different times. He, he went in for about a week, and they released him to go home. He was home for about a week, and we thought he was getting better. And then he had to go back to the hospital a second time. And I have to tell you that as amazing of a man and a person as Mark already was, it was clear to our whole family that God was at work in him, that God was doing something in his heart, even during that first week that he was at the hospital. And, and during that, those few days when he was home, uh, my last conversation with him, I remember sitting on the couch with him, and, and he was just talking about what God had been showing him, and he was just saying, I, I just want to serve the Lord more. I, I want to be on mission more. I want to tell more people, I want to do more than I've done for the Lord. As I listened to that, I, I thought, as, as we all thought, that he was getting better, that God was using this, uh, this uh, illness to just to do something in his heart, where he, he was going to use Mark to even, even greater effect in, in the next 10 or 15 years that he would have here. Of course, when the Lord took Mark home a week ago Wednesday, it became clear to me that, that that wasn't what God was doing. And now, what I believe God was doing is He was sanctifying him, He was working in his heart. He was getting him ready for heaven, He's getting him ready to see the Lord. And, church, now that He has seen Jesus, He is just like Jesus. Because the Bible says when we see him, we will be like him. Every last missing puzzle piece was put in place. And the picture of, that was left in Mark's life, that's there in Mark's life right now, is the perfect picture of Jesus. Friends, God loves every single one of us in this room. And he wants to get us all ready for heaven. But getting ready for heaven starts, as it always does, where it started for Mark 21 years ago. It starts with surrendering your life completely and fully to the Lord Jesus Christ. And friend, if you haven't done that, I want to invite you to do that today. The Bible says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today is the day of salvation. I want to ask you to stand. If he's speaking to you right now, I want to ask you to come, to surrender your life, to receive the Lord Jesus into your heart, to let him begin that process of making you more and more like Jesus every day. Maybe there's another thing in your life, another missing ingredient that he's speaking to you about. And you just want to come up here and pray and say, God, would you put that puzzle piece in my life, even this week, that thing that you're talking to me about that's missing. You can come and pray right here at the altar as we sing.